Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the uh, Fifth Column Podcast, Episode 2. Uh, we are delighted, delighted to be back with you all again. Uh, we had a, a remarkable first show, I thought. I think it was really, really good uh, and got a great response from you guys. I am joined, of course, uh, by two illustrious gentlemen who mm-hmm. I will let introduce themselves. Wait, what's your name, though? I- I'm Camille Foster. Oh, I mean, everybody... But you ought to know who knows, I am. knows that. Yeah. yeah, you ought to know. Who but I am. yeah, um, it was a really, it was a good response. The it first was a one. Good response. I mean, I, I mean, we're gonna, we're we're growing this. We're gonna have guests. We have a slate of guests coming up. Ooh. But for three guys, Michael Moynihan, myself included, uh, yammering for for an hour, a huge, uh, hugely successful response. Uh, my favorite response uh, comes from our mutual masshole friend uh, Scott Ross. Scott Ross, yeah, uh, who <laughs> posted this on Facebook and said. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's like being over at Welch's house uh, for dinner. There's a lot of uh, uh, funny conversation, uh, a lot of f bombs, and Moynihan <laughs> talks too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I, I it's funny there's... because most of the feedback I got was a little more of you and yeah. a little less of both Camille and Matt Welch. Yeah. So I'm just wow. taking that in consideration. No, so. and that's and that's fine. And we're going to respond to that accordingly by ignoring it. <laughs> um, the, <laughs> the, there are some adult things though that we're supposed to do uh, in a situation like this. First of all, there may be some adult language uh during this which means that we'll be both thoughtful uh but there is uh there is no fear of using four-letter words what or the just fuck are you insulting talking about? you insulting you <laughs> can for you no tell particular us, reason can you tell us what like your family members thought about <laughs> the uh discussion oh, my yeah. wife was not pleased about a <laughs> particular joke i made at the front end of oh, the show yeah uh, not that you it know, wasn't it's funny, funny it's it was funny, funny. Uh, Tra- tracy camille's wife was absolutely lovely um, I, I don't actually, you dare I, say I, for I, a black woman. I, I, I would <laughs> reach across this Wait, table. You know, Camille, you know, and I know, I don't see color. That's good. I just see women's shapes. That's and, good. Because uh, I'm, 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 yeah. I'm not a racist. I'm a sexist. That's fine. Um, but you know, I have to agree with her in the fact that it was, it was a little blue that that joke. And if anybody wants to, <laughs> wants to, blue. yeah, it was like <laughs> gone back. If you go back to that podcast, it's the first episode. Yeah. In literally forty five seconds into it. There is a joke that is so dirty that, you know, <laughs> Sam Kinison would have been like, you know, let's fix that in post. But it was pretty, it was pretty blue. Well, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to restate it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't just go, go back, back and, and listen, go to back it. and listen to it. But thanks for joining us. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at we, the fifth and online at www dot. That is a tongue twister. We, the fifth dot com. And it's we, the fifth. What is, are you as in problem? one, two, three, four, fifth. Okay. Yeah. All right. You're just, just killing time sure right now. Get it. Making sure people <laughs> get it. We've got a great show lined up. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the Sanders presidency, which is totally, definitely, it's absolutely going to happen. It's so happening. we need to yeah. understand it before it does. My fellow Americans! <laughs> yeah, it's going to be amazing. Some, be amazing. Some Look paper- at my potato! <laughs> some paperwork that has apparently come out of Panama uh, is significant. <laughs> so we'll paperwork. talk about that. Yeah. Uh, and apparently police are shooting black people. Um, and mm-hmm. we should... I guess we should talk about that too. Have you been shot any um, time just randomly by a policeman driving by? You know what? Black. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold that back for a little okay, while. Okay, good, good, and good, I, uh, good. Yeah. I'll surprise you later. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, let's jump into the Sanders presidency stuff immediately. Moynihan, you've yeah. been following this. Can I have you been. tell us what is going on? I know there was this great interview in the Daily News, and he yeah. seems to have done pretty well in Wisconsin. <laughs> 
You know, it's it's funny that we're lead into this by talking about uh, that later we're going to be talking about race. But, you know, everyone's really excited of these seven contests that Bernie's won in places where there are no black people. <laughs> so that's, what we've determined about Bernie Sanders is that, you know, he can win in like South Africa, but just not the Bantu stands. I mean, he can win Oof. like every everywhere where there's white people, Portland, which is kind Oregon. of interesting considering he is the rah-rah progressive Canada. But no, the, the story this week is, is obviously... Um, the uh, transcript that was released by the Daily News, and he gave an interview. By the way, these editorial board interviews, and Matt Welch used to be on the editorial board at the LA Times, right? You can tell us yeah. about that. And you've been through a lot of these, and I don't remember them being as significant as they've been this time around. Well, here's why. Right? Because, gonna... you know, uh, just Trump, too, right? I mean, he had ones that were amazing, that let were me, insane. Let me bite, bite on your rhyme from the get-go here. Uh, that's lingo from the hip-hop, I think. Um, is that uh, these uh, interviews are interesting now only because people are releasing them. For yeah. years... What happened, and I fought like a dog at the L.A. Times where I was in 2006 and 2007, because editorial boards, it's a group of like 10 people, it's probably now eight or seven or five, depending on what newspaper you're at. They sit every single week. uh, Some local grandee comes by. I mean, I've had a a couple of different times with Arnold Schwarzenegger and and mayor of L.A. and and, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, which was very funny. Uh, A story for another time. Um, And they generally sit around and have a conversation or even a lunch and no one knows anything about it. It doesn't lead to an editorial. Yeah. It's just a way for like the political class to scratch each other's back and say, hey, we had a really good thing. And yeah, I, sure. So the first thing I did is said, we, we're taping this, right? We're taping this and we're going to release a transcript on the website, right? And people looked at me like I was crazy. Um, but hmm. we started to do that then. I don't know if they still do it now. They probably don't. Because most of my uh, my perestroika was eventually uh, uh, thrown out there. But that's all it is. I mean, there's informed conversation because editorial boards are full of smart people in theory. And so when you release, they are able to ask follow up questions like The Washington Post did with Donald Trump. It completely eviscerated him. And mm. the Palm Beach Post did with some other people or, or the Miami Herald. Uh, so that's why they become news now. Go, Michael, about. Yeah, Trump. no, it's I mean, it's really interesting. So I read this thing uh, beginning to end. And I'm starting to scratch my head in it. And there's a, there's a moment at the very beginning when I'm reading this. And I said, you know, I got to admire Bernie Sanders for in various places saying, I don't know in the, in, in, you know, rather than talking in circles in the sense that in the way that Donald Trump does. But then I realized that he was running for president. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like it, 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 when he says, you know, I, well, you do have the authority under Dodd-Frank legislation to do that, to make that determination. To break the, up the banks. To break up the banks. And, and Daily News says, you do just by Federal Reserve fiat? You do? And he says, uh, yeah, well, I believe you do. And it's like, well, you know, I mean, you should probably get that stuff sorted uh, before you go in. So one of the things I think that that is interesting about this this interview is uh, I made a joke on Twitter the other day after he he won in Wisconsin. And I said, I, I think we might hear about the billionaires when he comes out. He might. He, I, you know, I mean, I'm just literally the stopwatch is going in 45 seconds. The billionaires in Wisconsin. <laughs> I'm like, oh, for Christ's sake. So the incredible thing is you're realizing when you read this this uh, transcript is that for somebody who's by rote, he knows this speech by rote. It's a good speech the first five times you hear it. After a while, it gets a little tedious. And he's talking about bringing up the banks and banks and billionaires, et cetera. And then when asked, and we give Donald Trump an enormously hard time about this, and we should, we ask for some specifics 
speaks, he doesn't appear to know what he's talking about, which is incredible because, I mean, he was deeply involved in this when 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 he was in the Senate. I just I, I'm surprised. There's a lot of pushback from Sanders people saying, no, 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 he does know what he's talking about. Here's a clip from C-SPAN of him talking about it, but he's reading off of a script or something. The so. uh, uh uh, I agree with you that it's actually refreshing and it can even be refreshing from a presidential candidate uh, point of view when you say, I don't know, at least to certain questions. He was asked some foreign policy questions right. about, you know, what 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 can or should the CIA do in this part of the war on ISIS? He's like, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I'm kind of fine with that because the world is a complex place. There isn't always a great answer. But this is his issue. This is his bailiwick. Right? I mean, I, this is another just a, I'm going to pull a quote out of out of nowhere. I don't even have to give you the the, the <laughs> context. It's about it's about um, uh, financial regulation. This is the quote from Sanders. It's something I have not studied, honestly, the legal implications of that. And these are not, you know, in the weeds questions. I mean, these are very, very broad based questions about what you do with banks, how you prosecute people. You say people should have gone to jail <clears throat> after the financial crisis. Nobody did. Yeah. What would you do? And he says, well, you know, I mean, I, I give a speech about it. That's pretty rousing. I don't know two, if you've uh, heard that. So. <laughs> two quick points before we let Camille talk. Um, uh, remove the <laughs> I, duct I don't tape. don't have to say anything. No, yeah, yeah, the, I just sit here quietly. No, he doesn't care. You can, you can put your forearm on my head. That's yeah. fine. Uh, <laughs> is that uh, one, uh, this is also <laughs> similar to what he did with the Veterans Administration. I mean, he's been a very important person on the Veterans Committee for a long time. And in 2014, when the well, the whole shithouse was coming unraveled about the uh, atrocious care that the VA is giving uh, vets, he was still blaming the Koch brothers. Yeah, He literally was. Yeah. He was saying, oh, it's a fine system. And, and so he didn't know what he was supposed to know in his job of oversight. Second uh, thing here, and I think this kind of goes to Donald Trump and uh, and part of his baffling to some of us allure. Uh, and I'm going to try out a theory here for you, which is to say that if you've been holding on to a very strongly held uh, position, belief, or even a single issue for a really long time, um, if you're an, an, an anti-war libertarian, for example, and so you've wanted to break up NATO your whole life, you finally have a presidential candidate right now who's talking about, yeah, I mean, you know, if NATO breaks up, that wouldn't be so bad. Because, so when you have someone who does that, and they're the first person to do that, you kind of give them a pretty big pass on a the details of it mm. and b everything else because it's a, they've broken through a certain barrier of conversation and the breaking through that barrier is thrilling for you and so the details don't matter as much and so for Bernie Sanders I it's maybe not a, a total single issue but kind of the occupy wall street basket the elizabeth warren basket of economic ideas the 15 dollar minimum wage that just talking about wall street all the time yeah. and the money corrupting all of politics to so sort of like throw that the, the naderite economics um there we haven't had a full-on Naderite running for president since Ralph Nader ran for president in 2000. And we haven't had it in the Democratic Party since Jerry Brown ran in 1992. Go back and read the 1992 speeches from Jerry Brown at the Democratic Convention, and it is 1,000 percent Bernie Sanders. And that's that's yeah. technical. Uh, no, but it is. And, I'll, and, and to you, Camille, in a second, but I just I will say this one more. I just scanning this this um, transcript. Um, you know, it is, that is, that is true. I mean, you, you talk about this so much and it becomes this drumbeat. It becomes this sort of bumper sticker slogan about, you know, prosecuting people for the financial crisis, et cetera. Is that a good idea? You know, I, the, there are areas where I think it probably is a good idea, but here's the question from the daily news. It says, are there a, a particular statute or statutes that a prosecutor could have used? And, and he said, I suspect there are. I love right. that weasel verb. And says, well, you believe that? Do you know? And then this is Sanders' response. 
I believe that there is. I believe that that is the case. Do I have them in front of me now? Legal statutes? No, I don't. But you know, if this has been your bailiwick for that long, you know, I guess there's something about the presidential election process that does kind of reduce everything to these kind of sound bites, and you do get those big applause from people when you're talking about billionaires and Wall Street. That the specificity becomes something that is. So unbelievably secondary or tertiary that, you know, I mean, is there a legal case? Because, look, to the Panama Papers things that we'll get to, a lot of the interest that think, uh, you know, is it morally wrong? Well, maybe. Is it illegal? I don't know. And Sanders doesn't even appear to know. So he goes on from this. And this is the economic voodoo that you get from Sanders, who then says something that unifies And Camille, I wanted to ask you, because I I think we talked about this, something that unifies the left and the right on this. Vox had a piece dinging him for this. Slate had a piece dinging him for this. Mm -hmm. Uh, This idea that trade with foreign countries should only exist if we're trading with foreign countries who pay the exact same wages as people (laughs) in the United States. But the question, of course, is which people? Yeah. In, in which states? Yeah, because we don't even have that sort of uniformity of of income here within the country, let alone within a particular state. But we trade pretty freely with one another. And the fact of the matter is you just can't impose that. And I think what the folks at Slate and Vox were pinging him for was the fact that this would dramatically worsen the living conditions and circumstance of people in developing countries. Absolutely true. Um, It would be devastating, but it would also worsen the circumstance of people here in the United States because we actually benefit dramatically from being able to buy things from people who have cheaper labor. If the stuff at Walmart immediately started to cost 20, 30, 50, 100% more so that people elsewhere could try to maintain the same wage rate as, as us, given all of the other things that aren't equal, uh, we would have a horrible, miserable situation. And I think it, it makes me think about not only the vapidity of these candidates and the fact that they don't know what they're talking about and they're demonstrating yeah. it routinely, um, but the voters yeah. who don't seem to care. But isn't this, seem to care. isn't this the thing about economics? And economics, especially in a, in a national election, you have to reduce it to its sort of most basic bits. And, and, and so when I say to somebody... Nick Kristoff wrote, wrote a piece about this, which is incredible that I'm quoting Nick Kristoff. But it was in defense of sweatshops. Now, what that does, just on the headline, is give everybody the vapors. I can't believe you're defending sweatshops. These are the little, they have cute, adorable little fingers, and they're putting together your electronics, and you like that, and it's probably very hot in there, and they, well, they probably don't, just they have don't one have fan. To be children, but the, the, but. Well, no, 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 but I like it. It's better that way. I, I, I like my <laughs> products made by very adorable children. The food tastes better, the clothes fit better. Oh, so the thing about this is you have this sense of that, you know, they get paid. How, how, how many times have you heard this? Listeners out there, how many times have you heard this? They get paid a dollar a day. What's the follow-up question that nobody asks? How much, you know, a dollar a day in Manhattan is pretty crappy. Right. What is a dollar a day in Da Nang? Tell me that. Is that that higher than the average wage that one would get in Vietnam in a government job? Yes, it is. So when, you know, William Sonoma, one of these people open a factory there, there are lines snaking around the block, people desperate to get these jobs. And if you have a problem with the economic situation in Vietnam, talk to the Politburo of the Vietnamese Communist Party. Don't talk to, you know, Apple because they're improving the situation. For the people. thing that Bernie Sanders gets spectacularly wrong about this, and it's all over his website, it's in every one of these speeches, is that he describes the system of international trade as a global race to the bottom. Right. Yeah. Now, if you looked at the world since 1989, since the end of the Cold War, 
uh, and you see what is if you just were like uh, if you were the, the 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 aliens from that episode in Twilight Zone who come down on the outskirts of the little town and sort of uh, on Maple Street and sort of see what's going on there. What would you notice about the world since 1989? Just kind of looking at it broadly, you would probably notice kind of high up there that one billion people have been lifted out of that one dollar a day extreme poverty, which is the definition of it. And they have done so largely through the twin engines of uh, trade and also liberalizing their own economies somewhat, especially in India and China and other places like that and Vietnam, too. Um, And to sort of look at that and imagine an international race to the bottom. This reminds me of Noam Chomsky. After uh, 19, after the the end of the Cold War, he was always saying, well, you know, all that's going to happen in places like Czechoslovakia uh, is that there's going to be a race to the bottom as Japanese capital like drives down local wages. <laughs> and if you lived in, in one of those countries and I did for uh, for a while, what you notice is that there are two types of places, one uh, like factories, let's say one factory is the one that GE just bought for eight hundred million dollars, you know, in, in Budapest. Um, where everyone makes a lot of money and it doesn't pollute and people are lining up around the block. And the other one is the state-owned aluminum factory that is slowly going out of business, but they're they're not uh, and pays crap and nobody wants to work for. It's not a race to the bottom. <laughs> it is a race to a different place that's higher. And yeah. the fact that we still have to talk about this and make this case is absolutely baffling. But it's, it's, it's baffling, but it is it is complicated. And for the voter, the average voter who hasn't given this much thought, when they see what happens with Carrier and Carrier closes down and they're moving a factory to Mexico and all they really know is that all of these Americans who worked for this company for a long time have lost their jobs and they're going to Mexico where people will make less. How can you keep that up forever? You know, at, at, at some level, there are there are winners and losers from trade, even if on net. Uh, most Americans win. And it's, I suppose it's complicated. It's difficult to talk about, but it is imperative to at least acknowledge it, 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 that it those is. people it, it, no, it are is. out there. They, they, they are peril. out there. And, you know, look, I, I think that one of the, the key issues and all the listeners out there, think about something for a second. Think about when a friend of yours who's not interested in this sort of thing um, bring presents you with this problem of trade. And they say, well, we, we should, jobs should be in America. Why are we sending them overseas, et cetera? Think of the example that you use, because if you want to get into the real nitty gritty of economics, I listen to Russ Roberts podcast, which is fantastic. Yes. But if we want to look at a higher level thing of just how people interact, and this is what I'm interested in now because of the election, um, the iPhone one is always the best to say, how much would your iPhone cost if it was made in the United States? Well, their economists have looked at this and they say like to anywhere from twenty five hundred to three thousand dollars. What happens with a three thousand dollar iPhone? OK, this is the sort of where that where it gets interesting for people. You know, only the rich have them or people who are fairly wealthy. Well, what what is the effect of that? Well, Apple sells fewer products. Well, no. And what happens to Seamless? What happens to Uber? Yeah. Of all these things, which which the the cheap technology has created a flourishing economy in all these other areas because, you know, people who live in the projects have these supercomputers in their pocket that I see all the time. I see people like in poor neighborhoods or middle class neighborhoods all have the same product. And what can they do? What happens to app developers? What happens to people that make iPhone cases? I mean, there's a million ricochets and and ripples from this thing. But when you when you talk to somebody about that, they tend to say, all right, it's just not the iPhone. I get it. I get it. I see what you're saying. But it's a it's a hard it's a hard to Camille's point. It's a hard thing to make. It's a hard case to make. And stepping back, I guess, from the sort of economic complexity of it all, but perhaps not. I mean, this election looks like there may be a contested, a content contested or brokered convention. I have marbles in my mouth. Yeah, you do. Um, And I calling them now. 
Well, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what, we're, what we're calling them. Yeah, so put my marbles in your mouth. Eat, eat your Wheaties, <laughs> not much. Um, um, did you just go black scent on us, Moynihan? No, that wasn't. Okay. What? That wasn't a black scent. What? Okay. Yeah, that wasn't. No, a black scent. I oh, when are we going to do the, the black the scent uh, is, episode? By the way, I I don't. Come know. on, I get John McWhorter to come on. We have to do that. the whole episode in black scent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone does one. Oh God, oh, sure. Especially me. Kicked off iTunes. Um, no, we wouldn't get kicked off. <laughs> um, contested, brokered. Who even cares? Is there a risk of jeopardizing something very precious and sacred in this country? Our uh, democratic y- outcomes. Uh, yes, we can jeopardize the sacredness of the continued uh, healthy existence of the two major political parties. So let's all root <laughs> yeah. very hard for contested elections. No, it's great. I love I mean, in many ways, this election season has been a nightmare uh, uh, for those of us who don't like statist buffoons heading up political parties uh, and that kind of stuff. On the other hand, there's been something thrilling about having two total outsiders, like non-members of their own tribes, uh, competing. Sanders, uh, the uh, independent uh, Democratic Socialist, and Donald Trump, the freak, um, uh, who's not really a Republican, uh, out there and, and shaking it up. And the and the fact, I think it's a fact at this point, that the Republicans are going to a brokered convention and that the Democrats are on the verge of, if Sanders wins New York, and if I'm a betting man, I'm betting that he does, even yeah. though he's down by about eight percentage points right now. We got, it's, <clears throat> I mean, as new, as people who live in New York, I wouldn't call myself a New Yorker, but uh, uh, it's going to be an awesome two weeks. This is going to, I mean, there's a, they're going to, the Williamsburg to debate. This is going to yeah. be uh, people with beards are going to be around. It's going to be I really think fun. I think they're doing it in Fort Greene, aren't they? Because it's the Navy, it's the Navy, Navy Yard. Yard. Navy which Yard is, is which is in it's uh, contested yeah, territory. Yeah, yeah. Are either of you going to be sneaking into this uh, this debate? Uh, I'm going to be outside. Yeah. I think I might. I think I might try to credential just because it's down the street. I'm credentialing. Yeah. The, I, the real question is, if you get in, Moynihan, will you finally get to ask some of these questions that you've suggested should be asked, yeah. uh, of, uh, Mr. Uh, Sanders? I was wondering if you are still supporting bread lines in Cuba. <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, no! I never did. I mean, I don't know. Which is I something just, he totally said. He like, actually said. I, I, I was on John Stossel's uh, program. This, he's a chap with a mustache. He's a, got a cable program. Um, lovely chap. But uh, they played the clip, and I was on talking about this, and I got a bunch of people saying, like, you know, stop defaming uh, Bernie Sanders. Like, this is stuff on Twitter. I'm like, you know, I, I mean, how long do I have to play that clip? Right. Like, well, how much breathing space on either side for you to be convinced that this is totally in context? <laughs> it's like he literally said this. The guy who started this whole campaign by complaining about the number of deodorant choices at the supermarket. Yeah, that's a, I mean, but, but it's funny. The thing about Sanders is I didn't read the column yet. And and I hope that he's not listening because I saw it posted um, somewhere is uh, a James Kerchick. I uh, had a column in the Daily News. That I didn't read it, just I, but but I, I will. It's just the headline was uh, Bernie Sanders is your stoner college roommate or something, something to that effect. And I realize when you say things like that that it's true. It's like that's what people used to say to me in college, like you know the choice is this horrible thing. Like you know, do we really need you know eight different types of toothpaste? Well, you know, now we have about fifty, and I'm perfectly happy with that. Yeah, I mean he's <laughs> a member of CISPUS, probably yeah, <laughs> committee but, in support of the people of El Salvador yeah, for sure. people with uh, yeah. with uh, 80s, uh, the eighties memories. But the Christic Institute, oh, yeah. with Jackson Brown. I suppose my my own my own perspective on the whole brokered contested thing is I don't much care um, to the extent that it does injure the two major parties. Great, great. So Camille, let me ask you a question: make, make people upset, but. 
What is so great about democracy? Okay, well, there's why. <laughs> why should I care? Uh, what is great about democracy? Fifty-one percent of, yeah. of your friends like get well, to get to beat the snot out of me and tell me what to do with with your rules. To answer your question, what's so great about democracy? A truncated version of of the maybe apocryphal. Uh, Churchill quote: yeah, the don't al- do it. The alternatives. Don't do it. <laughs> what, don't or, do or what's it. the alternative? So, uh, but to, to a question to you, I know you hate democracy and you're an authoritarian <laughs> at heart. Um, but I am a, a limited, a limited government authority. Yes, I know. We, we, <laughs> we usually call those like uh, you know Salazarites or Pinochetites mm. or Francoists. But uh, so here's the question. The political parties are private organizations. Yes. This is not, you know, codified in the Constitution. They can do whatever they want, right? I it's not undemocratic, I, I technically. Don't, I don't understand why they even have open primaries, for example. I mean, I'm a lifelong, never joined a, a political party. Yeah, no, right and right. I voted, I think, in some open primaries, maybe just because they let me. But on some level, it's like, shouldn't you actually belong to one of these stupid things but in I, order to be able to vote? But it seems like the issue is that most Americans, they think about America as a democracy. We are a democracy. It's the will of the people. Yeah, not really. That's not how this works. It's supposed to be a constitutional republic or something of that sort. Uh, Not a democracy. It's not about just giving the majority of people what they want all of the time. There are kind of rules. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this you can't, you can't vote sort of weird. Yeah. You, I mean, this is something that is going back to basics, but it's always something that, that mystifies most people. people. Most people that don't You know. can't vote, you know, like you can't vote away women's suffrage. <laughs> you know, you can't, that would, if there was, if there was 55% of the American people that didn't want women to vote, that yeah, is not possible. So in that sense that, that, you know, you know, it doesn't mean, yeah, but let's look, okay. but that's not a, I think that, I think you know, people, People talk about uh, <laughs> use these phrase of democracy and republic. First of all, most people who use democracy aren't really they're not thinking about majoritarianism. Exactly. Yeah. I, you don't think so? I don't think so. I think most people I talk to, maybe not most people we know, but most people I talk to about this issue. Most people I hear talk about it. That's what they mean. It's the I reason think, they want to abolish the electoral college, because democracy ought to matter. They had the most. They should win. Yeah, it's, I think I think a lot of people it's shorthand for being to having access to vote, uh-huh. right? So, I mean, you know who used to talk a lot about how we're a Republican, not a democracy? The John Birch Society did, right? Mm-hmm. That was a thing that William F. Buckley loved to talk about. Wasn't it, and that was Pat Buchanan's book, A Republic, Not an Empire. Yeah, I mean, and and, uh, and they used to talk about that in one breath, and then the next breath say, you know, uh, one man, one vote is really not a, a desirable outcome in South Africa, which by sure, which you're sure. supporting. I, so there's a reason fine. why people are like, <laughs> no, but I'm saying no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying it's who, fine and good. I'm saying it's, it's fine that other people have used that same rationale for nefarious purposes. But the bottom line is it's friggin' true that democracy in and of itself is just the rule of the stronger. It is might makes right, like put into a principle and given some, some parameters. And the, and the fact of the matter is that, you could actually use democratic processes to try and justify any sort of outcome. So what I and suggest that's here, not good enough. I, I, I think we need more than that. You're correct materially, but what I suggest is that we, as the language police mm. um, uh, here, <laughs> uh, start just talking about majoritarianism because that's what it is. I okay. mean, Damon Root's great book, Overruled: uh, The Long War for the Supreme Court, is great about this. And Randy Barnett, the libertarian slash anarchist. Uh, a libertarian a legal scholar who brought the challenge to the Affordable Care Act and and uh, and other things besides there and and George Will too all all these guys are engaged in a a very interesting exercise of convincing 
Republicans and conservatives to stop talking about judicial activism. They're like, you know what? That that's the flip side is judicial deference, sure. which is majoritarianism, which is something that was really introduced during the New Deal Supreme Court cases and all this kind of stuff. And it's wrong. That is taking the Supreme Court away from addressing the constitutionality of crappy laws. And so we need to rethink about it. And I think in the same way, democracy, when a lot of people talk about democracy, not everybody, certainly, I think it's just sort of like a shorthand for we're not authoritarians. It's it's not seen as I want majoritarian answers to everything. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think it's up to us to say, oh, you know what? It's majoritarianism, what you're talking about that. And there's a danger built into majoritarianism because it sucks to be a minority in that system. I, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but we've talked about this for a little while. We, we promised some talk about the Panama Papers, Matt mm-hmm. Welch. I know that you follow these sorts of things very closely. What's going on? So just to set the scene, uh, about six days ago, this group called the International Consortium of Investigative yeah. Journalists or something like that. Close to that. That's <laughs> not bad. There's really a lot of it really doesn't matter. IC and IJ. They came out with this. It's actually a pretty impressive uh, amount of secrecy that went in because there yeah. was a bunch of different newspapers. Sudeutsche Zeitung uh, was involved. Guardian uh, was involved. Um, and they got hold of uh, a wonderfully titled the, the papers of a wonderfully titled Panama based law firm called Mossack Fonseca. Yeah, which just sounds like some Mo- tin pot. Can we change dictator. it? Is it too yeah. late to change the fifth column? Instead of the fifth <laughs> column? column. Yeah. Mossack Fonseca. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's going to be my, my nom de plume on the internet. They uh, dug through tick. 2.6 terabytes of information yeah. and and just full disclosure i have no idea what that means no, it's a, a, lot. Not, it's a huge even, that's a huge amount of stuff don't yeah. know what that means yeah. uh, 11.5 million uh files stretching back to the 70s of deals having to do with something like 200,000 shell corporation basically this is what rich people have been doing uh with shell corporations uh and funneling their money in mm-hmm. offshore activity so that they could eventually park it in south beach condos yeah. uh, for a long time they've hit now i think the heads of something like five different countries mm-hmm. including iceland argentina there's a whole bunch of people associated with vladimir putin and the shoe has yet to drop on uh, on uh, exactly uh, how and and where uh, American muckety mucks are implicated, uh, but uh, my take on this is that um, it's a good reason to look at a little bit of American financial regulation. Do you remember back in 2012? I know re- I realize we're never supposed to look backwards in American politics because we might learn something. <laughs> but in 2012. Uh, it was a huge attack point for Democrats against Mitt Romney that Mitt Romney had Swiss bank accounts. Remember mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. Uh, Congressman mm. Tim Ryan, who I just got an email from this morning because I realized I was I douched him about this four years ago. And idiots who work in congressional office are like do Google searches on their name like, oh, you must want my stupid press release every morning yeah. ever since then. But Tim Ryan from Youngstown, Ohio, uh, in 2012, was talking about Mitt Romney. He's like, well, nobody in Youngstown has a Swiss bank account. I can tell you that. You know, we're salt of the earth people. Bro, a Swiss bank or a Swiss factory had just opened in Youngstown. It was one of the biggest employers there. Every Swiss manager there has a Swiss bank account because <laughs> yeah. they're Swiss. You yeah, asshole. yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And no, only- it's, it's, it's important to point out that, like, if you work at the McDonald's in Zurich, you have a Swiss bank yes. account. Uh, and, and truth be told, probably full True. disclosure, yeah. I've got a Swiss bank account. Well, Gosh, you've got so much money. Well, because I, well, my yeah. wife used to work for Swiss uh, national media. And this is where it all comes back to the Panama Papers, because um, this sort of like hysteria or, or just a rich baiting about uh, Swiss bank accounts led to one of the stupidest laws passed in modern history, uh, which is called the Foreign Account Tax Compliance 
act, which we get to shorthand as FATCA, because we're going to go after the fat cats. And what this does, and Moynihan's too stupid to realize this, although he he (laughs) is totally... Stop uh, paying attention like an hour ago. (laughs) You have overseas financial instruments, Mr. Moynihan. You know, there might be something. Yeah. So because of that, if you have... There's no money in it, actually. (laughs) If you have more than $10,000 in one, or if you uh, have more than $50,000 in one, there's two different levels of reporting requirements. Uh, You have to, as an American, report not just... What is the name, account balance, the account number of every single one of these financial instruments? But you also have to provide every year to the, every year to the tax man the maximum worth according to the U.S. dollar of that account. So you've got to figure out, OK, the dollar exchange rate between, you know, the Canadian dollar and the U.S. dollar was X on July 35th, first, whatever. Uh, and so you have it's incredibly onerous to do this. And because of this, and this was seen as a way that we're going to sh- shut down the Mitt Romney's of the world uh, because and we're going to get their tax receipts uh, because we're not going to have anybody hiding their assets anymore like that. Well, of course, the Panama Papers showed that the rich fat cats just move their stuff to Panama or Macau or places sure. where you can you can always be mobile when you're rich. Right. Yeah. But the people who got hurt on this were people who grew up as dual citizens in Canada their whole lives because they had an American parent. And suddenly they wake up in the morning. They've got to uh, undergo a proctology exam to the IRS every year. And as a direct result, two things happen. One is that uh, they uh, can't get a bank account if they live, if they're an American expatriate and there's seven and a half million American expatriates living abroad. They don't want those banks don't want to open accounts for these people because otherwise the IRS gets to go inside their innards. And Mm. so they literally can't get a bank account where they live, which really sucks. And two, they have to um, submit to the IRS, even if they don't make any of their money in America. And so they are tearing up their passports at record numbers every single quarter. I just want to say that Scott Ross criticized me for talking too much. <laughs> is that this, seriously? Is that he, he posted that Matt, on Facebook? Matt is allowed to go on a tear every once in a while. No, this, I, 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 you know, absolutely. And it was a it was an enlightening with tear. all of his money. It was an enlightening tear. I just, I mean, I know he's a fat cat. He's he's giving a, from experience. But I just want I just want some some equity here, so some equality actually in wow. uh, in uh, in uh, insults from Scott Ross. Uh, no, it, most people don't understand this. Is that uh, there? America is one of the only countries. There's only two in the world that tax their citizens if they don't live in the United States, don't earn a nickel in the United States, and right. you have to pay tax. Or at, at least, least file. If, at least file. Well, you have to pay tax over, I think, $75,000 yeah. or $85,000. Uh, in that other country is Eritrea. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Which is always like, you know, people always say that, like, uh, it's America and, you know, some hellhole that doesn't, doesn't have health care or, like, executes people or whatever it might be. On this one, it's America and, and, and Eritrea. On the, uh, the Panama Papers, there is a lot of conspiracy going on here. Right? There's a lot of conspiracy theories about the lack of um, American names being released here. Mm-hmm. And one they have the, promised something. They have they promised said, they The said, guy from Sue Deutsch's Zeitung said, I'm going to, well, just wait. Um, we're waiting. But a lot of that, the, the response to some people say is that, that America itself has become a tax haven in, in, in a number of places. You can actually hide your money within the country. You don't need to go to Panama. That's the first thing. The second thing is that what I'm interested in what you guys think about the Wikipedia. Wikipedia. What do you call Wikileaks. it? Wikileaks. Mm-hmm. What's that fucking weirdo in his name? Uh, <laughs> Assange. Julian Assange. Yeah. Uh, what a weirdo he is. The um, Matthew Modine of uh, Oh, God. He's like, he's like a Bond villain. I'm, I'm not saying anything. I know. You, you, he so is, all my records can end up in Wikileaks. Yeah. Well, actually, hey, actually, you know what? That's a good question because Wikileaks uh, uh, posts a, a, a quiz 
on Twitter because this is I mean, Weekly isn't weak, leaking anything anymore because the guy's living in his own filth in the Ecuadorian embassy in London. So he has he has a Twitter poll uh, because the big criticism now is you know don't let the media cherry pick these documents. And so there's a poll that says should we release all 11 million. Uh, I love we. Like, you have nothing to do with this, Julian. Right. Sorry. Should we release all 11 million pen, uh, Panama papers so everyone can search through them like our other publications? Our other publications. You didn't get them. Maybe someone's giving them to you now. But, uh, the, of course, the, the non-loaded answers are, yes, make them searchable. And then, no, let the media cherry pick. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that's what a gonna, jackass. That's, that's just science. So here's the thing about this is that, you know, I, I know, like, I'm, I'm assuming Camille and I might, might, might disagree on this. This is the kind of, uh, you know, other end of this transparency bell curve, this sort of radical transparency, is that there are people in in these documents, I don't know, 11 million documents. Yeah. You know, it's a lot it's of a lot sensitive of information. Yeah. I, people's financial information. People doing things totally legally. Right. People that aren't close to governments. People that aren't stooges of, of, you know, Washington or the Kremlin or whatever it might be. And there has been this push amongst people and a lot of them are on this sort of radical fringe of libertarianism or radical fringe of just the sort of transparency movement, saying that we have a right to the banking records of 11, 11 million documents because it's in Panama. And I think that this is totally bonkers. No, it's, it's ridiculous. So, I mean, we can't especially trust a guy, this sort of, you know, who looks like, you know, Monty Burns. And he's probably got long fingernails and wearing Kleenex boxes on his feet at this point, shuffling around the embassy of Ecuador, making papooses for all of his friends. I, I don't know what they do in the embassy there. But this guy who said, I'm going to put this stuff out, puts an, a, a copy of the um, cables up, up online with no redactions whatsoever. Now, did anyone die from this? Well, no. It, it, have there been some problems? There's some controversy about this. Some people were arrested or whatnot. But, you know, the thing is, I don't want to trust Julian Assange with the private banking information. This is where journalists come into play. And journalists can actually say 11 million pa Panama Papers. You know, you need some meat on that bone. You need some context. You need some financial journalists who understand this stuff, who understand the legal regimes, who's violating what law. And there's been some great reporting from The Guardian. There's been some great reporting from Sudochet Zeitung. Uh, Miami Herald did a bunch of great stuff on people parking money in South Beach, which is very contextual and very smart. And, like, this is why journalists are needed. And I don't think that we should be dumping this stuff. What do you think, Camille? Um, well, I, I would agree with you. I mean, I think in general, in this particular case, we're actually talking about something very different different than, than the, government, than the yeah. Edward Snowden leak, sure, which sure, were government sure, documents. Sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Quite frankly, when I talk about transparency, yeah, when I, I think, think about right. secrecy, I'm concerned about the secrecy with the guys who have the guns and who yes, make the rules. I think that's right. Like, I don't think they get to keep secrets. Not a lot of them. Um, and when they do, what secrets do you think that really they, what secrets do you think they get to keep? I mean, the nuclear codes. Uh, I think it's okay. fine to keep that secret. Uh, you don't want to have like you know the potential tragedy of the commons where there's like a nuclear <laughs> thing in the middle of a park and anyone and, can launch and anyone can smash yeah, the buttons. Exactly. Um, I mean, if there's a legitimate national security concern, I, I think that's fine. The, the the truth is though, that, and it's complicated, of course, that you have to have some sort of filter to push those things through that actually has some some kind of tension in it uh, yeah. where there's going to actually be some pushback because what we've actually had is a dramatic overclassification sure. of any number of things that simply shouldn't be classified. Like a lot of the documents that ended up getting dumped, and this wasn't the Edward Snowden leak. This was prior to that. I believe this was the Chelsea Manning 
Palm League where we got a lot of these uh, diplomatic cables uh, mm-hmm. that just sort of ended up in the wild. I mean, a lot of it was like personal, insulting, just strange yeah. stuff. Um, should it have been secret in the same way that, say, the nuclear codes ought to be secret, that the, the location of the, the military base or secret military yeah. installment ought to be secret? A lot of it shouldn't not, have been, but I'm a lot sure of the personally that. identifying characteristics Absolutely. and communications, sure. especially of uh, U.S. friends uh, in lousy countries, uh, is, uh, uh, is something that uh, I think – I mean, I, I think Edward Snowden did the right thing when he tried to work with journalists to release his stuff yeah, because he was too. worried about yeah. the sensitive – kind of uh yeah. uh uh response to things. No, I mean there's uh, they we have seen a kind of a war on the notion that there there can or should be anything like financial privacy. And I think that's a problem. Um I think that uh that you know the, the town of Geneva, the country of Switzerland, these were based on financial privacy not just so that the Richie McRich could be rich, yeah. but because they're fleeing the Catholics. You mm-hmm. know, it was a way of we wanted people who were against the re- regime, who were minorities, to be able to bank and and not have their stuff. It's like anonymous speech. You need anonymous speech yeah. in authoritarian situations. You, everything shouldn't be transparent. Absolutely. And uh, and again, the U.S. has been single handedly trying to dismantle the, the notion of international financial privacy to the extent which at some point they're going to go after cash yeah. because you can't trace cash 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 and bitcoin which would yeah. which would devastate some some segments of our audience we're going to take a a little bit of a break here reset uh and we'll come back and we'll talk about uh cops that want to want to shoot black people for oh, some God. reason which is just i'm not sure why you would want to do that they're that's so not, nice i don't like those cops they're kind people I'm, that's a that's a spoiler i don't yeah. like those cops all right we'll be right back with you the fifth caller we, 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 we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse. The fifth column. 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 column as, as promised, column. we're going to talk about uh, cops who insist on shooting black people, which is really impolite. Um, but we also have uh, some idiot wrote this. Yeah, our favorite our, segment. Our favorite segment yeah. of the show. Yeah. This, this is an is opportunity there. for us to highlight the wonderful, thoughtful... Um, or perhaps just the complete opposite of that. People who write things for major publications or perhaps even say them on television. But for, for now, it's just writing things. Michael Moynihan, it sounds like you have found uh, something to share. With this I, I am very skilled at finding these things. I don't know why I find them, you know, with more verve and uh, than other people i just i happen to look everything i look at is just ridiculous you know you know <laughs> so you ever seen that cartoon uh of i think it's even a gif is it a gif or gif gif yeah, it's gif, GIF. Uh, it's okay. of uh someone saying hold on a second i'm coming to bed but someone was wrong, uh, wrong on the that internet that is a gif of yeah, my morning but i don't respond to them but now i have this wonderful segment to do my uh part in uh slaying these dragons but um so yesterday my daughter, who's gotten very skilled at using uh, uh, Apple TV, saw that the new Star Wars, I mean, she's five years old. She just turned five. And the top, so she watched the trailer. And she said, we have to watch this movie. Yeah. Have to watch this movie. Dropped early. But we're, talking, I, we're talking about the Rogue One trailer uh, that came uh, out. Yeah. What, uh, no, no. We're, we're talking about the actual no, the Star new, Wars the, movie. The, whatever, the, the last the, full the, new Star the Wars The Force movie. Awakens. The yes. Force Awakens. Okay. Yeah. So. This is episode seven. You guys are confusing me. Uh, <laughs> the point of this is not to do with Star Wars, which um, I didn't quite understand. There was running around and, and um, you know, sort of watching this. And, and I can't remember the question I, was, I had. So I said, you know, I got to figure out who the cast is. J.J. Abrams. I don't know much about Star Wars. So I Googled. And I come up um, to the Washington Post website. 
The Washington Post is a very reputable news organization. Right. Catherine Graham, uh, great storied history, uh, Watergate, et cetera. Yeah, tell that to her uh, first husband, Michael. Who's first husband? Catherine oh, Catherine Graham. Oh, I, yeah, I <laughs> thought you were talking about uh, Bernstein and uh, he was married to Nora Ephron. But no. anyway, that's a different show. Uh, so <laughs> I get I get to this thing. And this is uh, by Lonne O'Neill, who, uh, Lonne, I will send you an email um, and you can come on the show, but do understand before you come on the show, I do consider you to be the dumbest person writing in America <laughs> today. The headline on this abortion of a piece Oof. is... As if that's a bad thing. Uh, well, I'm not saying it is. I'm pro-choice. Um, so the headline on this is what Star Wars gets wrong about blacks and women. Wow. Now, the one of the main characters is a uh, black guy. Is and there's right? a woman a woman who's another main character, right? So I sent this to Camille as a as a um Arbiter of racial justice. No, and truth. not about not because you're you know you know black and from space, <laughs> because because I said this is going to be my choice for this week, and I rewrote the headline for Camille where it would make sense. So the, the headline now reads because uh, because because now it makes sense. What Star Wars gets wrong about space blacks and space women? <laughs> Here is my beef. This is a movie set in fucking space, right? And, you know, because I suggest another piece. Here is what Star Wars gets wrong about science. Because, you know, there aren't people who float in space. And there's not. You can't shoot things out of your hand. You can't lift people up with you know, just your brain. You can't so, dodge so asteroids. You can't do that. No, the X-Wing fighter isn't a real thing. So this hilariously earnest piece, which mixes everything that's wrong with modern journalism, which is the hot take and the obsession with identity politics, and puts them together in in space. So what? Uh, so basically, what you're saying is that you know they don't really get um, uh, like uh, African Americans. Why would it be Americans too? It's in space. And, he, and, and the guy's actually <laughs> British too. So <laughs> British Caribbeans or whatever. Um, you know what they get wrong about 2016 black culture in space. <laughs> And I don't have to go on this point for very long because it's so obvious yeah. of like it's, it's and, and she good. has this thing. It's like, you know, he doesn't get the girl at the end. And I was like, first of all, you're spoiling the movie for me. He's not going to get the girl. All they have a little thing. And he's like kind of timid. And it's like an old kind of Feetstone film me now thing. I don't know what she's trying to say, but I get I mean, I'm reading this and I realized that it's over. It's all over for us as a species and a civilization. So I hope that I get to to live in Star Wars world where nobody, I assume nobody writes this stuff. I don't think there's a salon in uh, on the Millennium Falcon or whatever the hell it's called. First of all, I want to line up around the block to see Space Blacks. Oh, God. So good. <laughs> so good. Did, I hope you heard the, so the Street good. Fighter drop there. Perfect. That's good. What is this? A morning zoo show? No, 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 You're no. doing <laughs> forbidden. Banned. No, banned. I, no, I'm totally going to use no, it. No, no, totally banned. Because it's from I lift. I, I got the idea, the inspiration to it's do not, that from the not. Life of Pablo album, Perfect. and I like it. No, oh, that's not going to. It's not going to happen. No, 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 no. I like it's, it. It's actually it's doing absolutely. That's like forbidden. the douche. We're going to let the people decide. This is not the douche from Parks and Recreation. I don't know what that is from Street Fighter, but he is a douche. Probably you don't know. It's a total morning zoo. Matt, I cut you off because yeah. I was telling yeah. you that Moynihan hey, did a really hey, good Matt, job. Matt, 
Matt. Christ Almighty. I seriously, this is my first, this is my second and last podcast with uh, the fifth column. Matt, what did you, I don't know if you uh, are prepared for the segment, but if there's yeah. something, and I, I I think we should also broaden it to some idiot said this, some idiot thought That's this, fine. some idiot wore sure. this. We'll, we'll call Just it Just idiots, basically. So is there, what is the idiocy that, that intruded upon your life this week? I thought we were going to talk about the Star Wars <laughs> idiocy. You can here, do, that. Uh, you uh, can my, do that, Michael. Um, yeah, yeah, more fine. than uh, more than anything that uh, I just didn't. You don't have to have something because I mean, there's plenty of it, and there's so much of it now that you forget about it. Yeah, and you don't even you don't even notice, like you know, when Salon. Like I could literally open my phone right now. I mean, look and look at what Salon. I, has I was. On I, I think actually, Let Camille went on television to talk about this. I was on television, and they were talking about it. But thankfully, I didn't have to. Uh, there was a gap. App ad that yeah. made people super yeah. mad this week. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, two, 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 um, two young ladies posing next to each other. There's actually four four little girls in this ad. They are gymnasts. It's a troop of young gymnasts. Uh, I believe they call themselves humanitarian gymnasts. Uh, and the gap Where ad they features vault over refugees or something? Y- something like that. You'd have to go Google it. Go take a look because I'm I can only describe it. The, the taller young white girl has her hands, um, her arm resting on the head. Elbow. Of the the shorter young black woman, uh, and there was a furor. It feels like internet. it feels like a hit Benetton ad from like 1997 yeah, of, yeah. of kids dressed in sweet urban rags. There, there are well, so well, many there, things there that are ridiculous. Some, about there's it. So, so many things that are ridiculous. But the person that came out to really defend uh, the ad, like you know, just really defend it, was the young uh, black girl's mother, mm-hmm. who pointed out that the girl resting her arm on her head is her sister. Yeah. What? Yeah. Older, what? Older sister. Yeah. <laughs> Wait yeah. a second. Yeah, yeah. It's true. It's true. So, yeah. like, the person who is but, committing but, 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 the white colonialist, uh, yeah, Matt, Matt, massacre. Why, you understood this from, and I believe we've talked about this past. We probably recently talked about it in, in the break. Talked about it. What is the point of figuring out the details of this thing when you can yeah. just be outraged by it? Yeah. Don't have your outrage sort of tempered by truth. That'd be boring. We can all get outraged about, you know, what happened at UVA despite that it didn't happen. I mean, that's why would we look into this? Why? Why? I mean, what is the point of looking into it? The Internet exists now only for the transmission of bad information and annoying tweets in bad stories. Yeah. So essentially what it is now is like, you know, I am just, you know, virtue signaling that I am really opposed to racism by this gap ad of these two. And, and of course, somebody uh, pointed ex NFL player, actually, I don't remember the guy's name, pointed out that there was the exact same ad from a year ago, also from the gap, yeah. where the person with the arm up was was Had black and different. The, the kid. Yeah. Colors. So, I mean, but who cares about that? Yeah. My, my issue, and maybe this is a segue into uh, Camille talking about uh, uh the Washington Post story having to do with disproportionate acts of police violence against people with dark colored skin um, is that there is no shortage in this country of stories of actual injustice sure. where at the end of it, there's a victim for, mm. for whom something bad happened that is important. And uh, it's interesting that we still I mean, it's 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 also true that we always like to talk about pop culture 20 years ago, almost to the day right now. There was a, a series of outrage. Hillary Clinton, who had a syndicated column during the 90s, uh, God help us all, go out and look at it. it it's the worst. Yeah. It is the absolute, <laughs> absolute. It's going to make you think Michelle Obama is the greatest uh, uh, everything. Well, she's kind of great anyways. But anyways, I digress. It was all about an advertising uh, campaign. Uh, and I'm blanking now on uh, Crate and Barrel, not yeah, Crate and Barrel, but uh, it was uh, it was a bunch of louche looking 
teens. Oh, it was uh, it was the uh, one where they, they all had their shirts off. Uh, the, the person in the store had the shirt off. You yeah, know, so it looks like. It looked Abercrombie like, and Finch. Yeah. Uh, uh, was it Abercrombie? It wasn't so. Abercrombie and Finch, but it was uh, something similar. We're, we're getting uh, all the facts wrong, but it's fine. Doesn't matter. <laughs> What's important is that I'm Isn't right. That we just Hillary demonstrated Clinton that is, facts is, uh, don't matter. Is, yeah. uh, is wrong, but no. I mean, this became an outrage thing because it looked like the teens were sexualized and that they might have been in some basement in a sauna somewhere, and so this became a national outrage story sure. for months. Yeah. Bill Clinton referenced it in speeches and all this kind of stuff. And it's an ad campaign. And everybody in the ad campaign, they actually did a federal investigation into this ad campaign in 1995 and discovered that, yes, they're all 18. So what the hell is the problem? Yeah, but, yeah, like, I, we want to operation, onto this. Operation because, Tracy Lawrence. Yeah, no, I understand. Uh, <laughs> I feel I do feel bad for these girls. I mean, this was a really special moment for them. It was a gap ad, I guess, a, a, a collaboration with Ellen DeGeneres. And this was okay, a really cool he, opportunity for them to do something. But it's. It's one of those things where, you know, your capacity to be outraged by any superfluous thing that is happening that, that really shouldn't outrage any reasonable people doesn't mean we need to care well, here's about a, here's it. Here's a question. Let me, let me so, defend the, the outrage machine in this way. Oh, God. Oh, Aren't God. we actually participating in it by no. pretending to be outraged at other people's outrage when other people actually weren't no, that I'm, outraged? I'm actually, I'm actually outraged. I'm actually, I'm actually <laughs> I, I'm outraged at anyone. Outrages. I'm actually outraged that anyone was outraged and it was sufficient. The the upset was sufficient to make Gap they right apologized. a pathetic and they pulled the despicable no, really? yeah. apology. So there's press actually, release. and that's so the that's, thing is that's actually, what I'm responding yeah, there's to. actually an, like an a cause and effect here. They 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 apologized. They pulled the ad. But Camille just reminded me of something when he said Ellen DeGeneres. The great thing about this ad and the great thing about this sort of culture these days is no matter what you try to do. It doesn't matter. It's gonna it's gonna boomerang back and hit you in the face because the this ad was Ellen DeGeneres for a line of unisex clothes for kids and it was saying that gender doesn't matter and, and like so that they're, they're trying they're doing a sort of gender bit for this and they have ellen degeneres on uh, promoting it and then like at the end it's like oh great job on the gender stuff by the way you're super racist <laughs> it was you just it's kind of it's kind of hard to win these days you know it's it, also the same thing is true that amy amy schumer's on the cover or in, in, a, in a new magazine glamour or something and they have like uh you know plus size and beautiful mm. and amy schumer freaked out and posted all over online. There's been a big news story that how dare you? I mean, she's called herself plus size. She's called herself overweight, et cetera. And it's part of her, it's part of her act and part of her routine. And I get the idea of like, I can call my kid ugly, but you can't. But this was an ascent. was this magazine trying to be empowering and getting rid of all these sort of rail thin models. And even that bites them in the yeah. ass. So it's it, it, always remember no matter how well intentioned you are, it's never enough. Well, um, to... But before you get in there, uh, Camille, just to fact check myself, it was Calvin Klein. Mm -hmm, was mm -hmm. the it was a billboard campaign, and, chic. Uh, and the ads were, according to Hillary Clinton's columns at the time, merely the latest proof that some businesses are willing to push the envelope of gratuitous sex and exploitation of children as far as possible if it's good for the bottom line. That was your thank next you. president, thank you, Bill Donahue. Thank you, Google. Yeah, all <laughs> <Well>, that too. <laughs> you got to get rid of that. <laughs> Continue on, so, Camille. So we. We do have one more story to get to today, um, and it is uh, it is a story in the Washington Post. Uh, the title of this article is Study Finds Police Fatally Shoot Unarmed Black Men at Disproportionate Rates. Uh, this is written by one 
Wesley Lowry. Mm-hmm. Um, I did reach out to Wesley. Um, I, I did not give him much time to respond. I wanted to talk to him about this article today because I I read it and I found it interesting. He's a um, very he's a very smart guy and a very uh, and I don't know him, but he's a very congenial, uh, bright guy. I like well, good because I, I look snarly. I want to I want to talk to him Twitter, at some point right because I read this. Uh, and I was a little surprised, uh, and, and Michael Michael was the one who sent it to me like seconds after it was published, which is weird. Mm-hmm. It's strange how you do stuff yeah. like that. Um, but the, the I article, gotta, I, somebody on Stormfront, <laughs> yeah, you have a Google News <laughs> thing for black <laughs> people. Yeah. They were okay, they were celebrating totally this momentous accomplishment, and and the article suggests uh, that there are you know nine hundred. This is a built building on the work that the Washington Post and others publications have done um, since uh, a lot of the upset last year uh, about. Uh, black, that that led to the Black Lives Matter movement, um, but just documenting the number of police shootings, they pointed out that there were uh, 990 fatal shootings by police uh, that had been documented by the Post, 93 of which involved people who were unarmed, and black men accounted for about 40% of those. Um, and initially, the Post article says that that means that they are about seven times as likely as unarmed white men to die from gunfire if we control for their percentage in the population uh, but that when you add some subtle refinements to the data, uh, like whether or not the person suffered from a mental illness, which kind of seems like a significant, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. a significant it's matter, uh, whether the person was attacking a police officer sure. uh, and for a crime rate in neighborhoods where the shooting occurred, uh, that that disproportionate overrepresentation dropped down to two times, yeah. not seven, but two. Yeah. Uh, and the question here, of course, and, and the, the article doesn't reach a, a Great conclusion, but it does seem to sort of set out with a particular conclusion or at least set of beliefs about the universe in mind. And I know I have particularly strong feelings about this. I wonder if if this story resonates with you gentlemen in any particular way. Okay, so is two times a bad number? If we're shooting, if you control for factors, including criminality, including neighborhoods, including everything, and you discover that, granted, it is a small sample size, ultimately, Mm -hmm. of uh, people here, which it is. Um, But if you discover that controlling for everything, you're twice as likely to get shot and killed by a a cop if you're an unarmed person than someone with the hue of Michael and I, although we're not really that, we're both kind of gingers at heart. Um, That is that not significant? Why is that not significant? I I think that is. And I think that there's, there's, I mean, the sample size is small. I mean, I was actually surprised that in a nation of 330 million people, the the, the amount I've been reading about this story, that it actually was 40. Um, I really thought, actually, honestly, I'm totally wrong in this, obviously, but I thought it was much higher. I thought it would be 100, 150 or something. That 40 seemed on the low side, considering the kind of penetration of of media coverage on this particular issue. So yes, you're absolutely right. Two times is two times too many. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, especially if they're not uh, attacking the police, if they're not armed. I mean, it's, it's something that I'm glad that all this attention exists. I'm glad that body cameras are coming. I, I like how this is ending. But on the intellectual kind of like the, the debate about this, it's a bit troubling in the sense that how does a newspaper like the Washington Post, which is a very, very good newspaper, probably the best one we have in this country, Get it like wrong in that way. If they say seven times, 
versus two times. A dramatic difference, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that what... Put the conclusion point, in the lead, I think not the, conclusion, the I think the conclusion is in the lead in the same way that I think that, you know, any story... Like the, the, the Rolling Stones thing came up, uh, Rolling Stone, not Rolling Stones, thing came up because uh, Sabrina Erdley, who wrote the story of the, the, the gang rape that didn't happen uh, for, for Rolling Stone magazine, she's now um, testifying, uh, and that was a story... The willingness to believe that story because the conclusion is something that jived with our previously existing biases is something that has really reached almost epidemic proportions these days in right. the media. And when I did a CNN hit to talk about the story when I was before it unraveled and I expressed skepticism, the skepticism in the uh, during the segment was focused on me in a way. I mean, not intensely, but Jake Tapper was like, well, how do you know? What about this? What about that? Yeah, yeah no, sure. You should be asking those questions, but you should also be asking those questions of a story that is as important and, you know, as freighted and people are saying we have to ban uh, fraternities and the fraternities were banned and like, as crazy a ripple that was from the story. But people don't like to look into them because they like the conclusions. There's a uh, I, I got I've been on trouble uh, uh, on MSNBC on occasion. That back to our, our, our friend DeRay, who's running for yeah. mayor in Baltimore from the Black Lives Matter movement. Your, uh, your friend uh, was eviscerating me on uh, Twitter for a day and a half because I suggested um, without while saying this is only a suggestion because I don't have the data for it, but I suggested that it's likely that uh, police are killing fewer civilians now than before. I mean, this Washington Post story, what Wesley Lauer and other people have been doing, thank God we're starting to count. Yeah. We weren't counting before. Right. Exactly there, were, right. there weren't groups counting, newspapers yeah. or activists or certainly the FBI, which is supposed to. They weren't counting. So now we're counting. Now we have a data set. I would argue that it's almost certain that the trend line is going down. You said you were surprised by it. I, it is. It's well <clears throat> because I mean, New York City police. Last time I looked, like something in 1971, 72. Jim Epstein had a great piece on this. At reason, um, they killed 72 people, <laughs> and then yeah. oh, and oh, a sure. bunch of cops got killed too, yeah, like 10, yeah, yeah. 11, uh, 12 cops. I mean, there was people shooting at each other all the time 40 years ago in a way that's not happening now. The violence has stopped, or is, is not stopped. It's it's it reduced a yeah, lot. We've seen we've seen broad in both directions sort of reductions in violence, and what we've seen also, and this is important as we think about the 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 coloration of our views on this is that we now have much greater transparency about the uh, individual cases. So we're more aware of it than we were before, and that's a good thing. Uh, 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 and, and I'll stop there. Well, gonna... I mean, I think, it's, I think it's good that we are paying more attention to these issues, broadly speaking. The, the, the difficulty that I have here is, is multifaceted. Uh, but to begin with just this issue, I would like to think that we're having conversations about body cameras and that we are talking about counting the number of people that are actually shot by the police. Uh, we're kind of sort of talking about that. Most of the headlines tend to nod towards these preconceived notions that we have that black people are being unfairly, uniquely, particularly targeted by police and that knee jerk racism or that this this implicit bias is at work that is causing police to shoot people. Uh, we have to acknowledge that this study is still uh, undergoing review so that it can be published someplace. It might have been a good idea to wait until that had happened before <laughs> you actually bother? write a story about it. Yeah, it's journalism. Um, it's not an academia. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. But but people draw conclusions. And I don't know. There's for me, there's some sense of responsibility associated with all of this. But let, let me let me ask you a question just to butt the hell in here. You okay. work with Dr. Carl Hart. Uh, uh, that's true. A great uh, neuro something or yeah, other yeah. Uh, studies drugs. Yeah. Um, uh, we're all certainly aware that people with black colored skin smoke just as much pot as people with white colored skin. There is Actually, there, it kind of depends, but go ahead. So, sort of kind of depends. Uh -huh. But 
the arrest numbers are right. wildly disproportionate. Yes. Walk me. We know that. We don't have to study that more. Right. We just know that. So walk me through why I shouldn't care about that yeah, or yeah. focus on that well, number. This, well, this is the thing. I mean, the, the question is why, right? And there could be any number of narratives. It could be that the police are intensely racist and that in D.C., where this is also true and the cops are predominantly black, they're locking up black kids for smoking weed because they hate them because they're Negroes. I don't know if that's right. What seems to me to be the most likely thing, and we'll have to take a look at this and study it thoughtfully, um, is that police tend to police certain areas more than others and that police find reasons to harass children, young people, anyone who seems to look suspicious to them and throw them in the back of their cars. And if possession of this not particularly dangerous substance is a thing that I can use to throw you in the back of my car, I'm going to use it. Um, And that's the reason why stop and frisk is utilized. We find something suspicious and now we have a reason to hold you up, to talk to you a bit and to perhaps put the fear of God into you. So because so because poor and more heavily criminal neighborhoods um, are disproportionately minority, uh-huh. therefore disproportionate. There are disproportionate minority statistics. The dragnet, the dragnet because may in fact you catch can more use the dragnet to right. go after them. That's but the, but, okay. I, but that could be it. But what's also important to note is that blacks aren't just overrepresented in statistics like these. They're overrepresented in all crime statistics by dramatic percentages. Um, which, unfortunately, because I didn't know we would be having this part of the conversation, I don't have in front of me, but I will next week. Um, but they're overrepresented by dramatic percentages, both as the victims and the perpetrators of crimes. And from what I know from the numbers we've actually looked at before, and we'll have to see what the new study says, in the past at least, they weren't more overrepresented in terms of the number of times they were shot by police relative to sort of their overall overrepresentation in various other sorts of crime and criminality. There could be any number of reasons why blacks are overrepresented in that way. But the notion that it is like contemporary racism and that it's knee-jerk racism on the part of police that is causing them to perpetrate crimes seems laughable to me. So that couldn't be it. How about we, because we're just about out of time here, and how about we end on this, like the, the sort of parting shot that relates to this in a way. Okay, okay. Because I think that uh, Camille's, I'm so happy that we can have a conversation about this point where Camille drives it because I would never say any of that even <laughs> if I believed it. I'm not saying I do, I'm not saying I don't. I just am terrified of it. So it's a glowing third you, rail <laughs> that I wish that this part of the podcast could become a video podcast so people so say you know, you're, you're not, you're not yeah, nodding in agreement. Yeah, and, I'm not, and, and, yeah. That, and that you are no, you're deeply skeptical. <laughs> that I'm not. Well, whatever that means. Um, I, I'm really not uh, that skeptical. But uh, to this point, and uh, let's uh, close it out. I'm going to close. You know, I'm going to do this on a on a thing. I had a kind of parting shot last week about uh, the People versus O.J. Simpson, which I have to watch the final episode in which one of the jurors gives a black power salute after and a smile and a thumbs up to O.J. Smuggling in two now, <laughs> too. But one thing I will do is that um, this idea that if something happens that affects a particular group, a particular gender, it must be because of bias. That is the kind of implicit. Uh, through line and all this stuff. And I am going to tell people to listen to a January 2016 uh, podcast uh, from Freakonomics Radio when Stephen Dubner, the economist, uh, talks about the wage gap uh, between men and women and has a a female economist from uh, Harvard who says, you know, we look at this data and if you look at it a particular way, you get 76, 77 cents to the male dollar. Um, and the, what is implicit about all of this is it has to be bias. Right. And break it down. And that's not true. And it's a fascinating, fascinating, very data driven 
And you can tell that they were very particular about not getting polemicists. And it's a very, it's a very good piece. So I'd, I'd recommend people listen to that Freakonomics Radio from, from January. It's a good example of how what appears to probably be bias or, you know, sexism, race, whatever, is not necessarily always that the, the case. So. Yeah, my, my suspicion is that we will talk about this sort of stuff again um, in the future. For me, it's always a matter of just asking sort of the next question, the next practical question, which is why? Um, and not presuming anything about the why straight away. Of course, we have this horrible history with racism and discrimination in this country, uh, but things are dramatically different today uh, in any number of really important ways. Um, and I don't know. I'm, I'm skeptical, uh, to say the least, when I hear people scream racism. Um, I, I demand evidence. And that seems seems reasonable and uh, sane. Uh, Matt, any parting parting thoughts from you as we uh, just that it's obvious that our uh, next podcast should be all of us talking about the completely untenable, uh, (laughs) undefendable belief that each of us have. And yes, yes, yes. Before we go, before you uh, turn off this podcast, uh, this was discussed earlier in the day, uh, 15 minutes, maybe three segments in which uh, every one of the uh, was will bring to the table a kind of crazy belief that we hold yeah and send yours in too out there we're uh, available at uh, go to we the fifth uh, yes right? we the fifth.com and we the fifth on twitter the twitter yeah. and please if you are enjoying this podcast but only if you're enjoying it if you're not why are you listening there's no good reason yeah, for you to be listening minutes. especially this long <laughs> uh, hit yeah. itunes if, even if you're not listening on itunes write a review give us five stars yeah. only five stars. if you give us less than five stars i'm gonna find you yeah, wow. I promise. Yeah, I'll find you. Thanks for joining us. Scary. Fifth right. column. Bye. We love you. Later. I wonder if he's talking about Japanese people in that fifth column. It's from 1940. Uh, I wouldn't.